Uh, we're going to talk tonight about books, because uh, I have technical difficulties, so uh, books go right along with, uh, with that. I like the, the paper copy. Hold on to you. You can't, can't mess that up. My pastor growing up, uh, he never used a computer. He wrote all of his sermons out by hand. He did all of his study off of books. He didn't have any computer programs. And when asked about it, he would say, well, if my desk drawer ever crashes, I'll just pick it up and put it back um, and won't have to worry uh, about all the losing, losing information or anything. Um, so we're going to look tonight at the topic of how to build a library. Um, there was a handout that we passed out tonight. If you did not get one, um, they'll be available after service. It's, it's something you don't need during the service. It's something for you to take home uh, to have in your hands on how to build a uh, library. Just some starting ideas there for you. As you know, on Thursday night, Pastor has been going through a series on how to. And there's different topics he's looked at on, on biblically how to approach something or how to accomplish something. And a few weeks ago, he had someone, I don't know who, ask the question, hey, it'd be a good, good idea to look at or to study the idea of how to biblically set up a library and how to have your own personal library. And he knew he was going to be out of town this week, and he asked me if I would cover uh, that topic for him, because uh, he knows that I enjoy talking about books, and so that would be a, a fitting topic there. I remember years ago when I was in Bible college, they were doing a series on their midweek service as well. Their focus of the series was on the family, and they'd asked one of the uh, teachers in the college who I had become very close with, we had a similar mentality towards things, they asked him to teach a lesson on books, and so he had put that together for the lesson on the on the family, and uh, he didn't finish it in one night, and I remember the pastor getting up afterwards, and I said, if there's one guy that could talk about books for two hours, it would be Brother So-and-so, and so kind of feel like that's my position here tonight. We're not going to talk for two hours, don't worry, um, about books, but we're going to look at the topic of building a library. There's a, this is a as I said, I enjoy talking about this study again. There was so much information that I thought that, man, it'd be good to know and good to share and how to approach this. And there's, there's what kind of books you should read. There's the way that you should read books. There's what type of book you should have. There's uh, uh, what type of books should you have for children in the home. How should you recommend books? How should you research books? Um, and there's all kind of directions we could go. Um, but we're going to try to systematically walk through the mentality of, of why we should be reading books and uh, why we should have books and kind of some practical tips on setting that up uh, in our own home to start to build a library, a Christian library, a biblical um, library. We need to start with that basic question, is it worth it? Is it worth it to build a library? i got to dedicate. You know, books take up space. Uh, books, are, books are heavy. If you've ever moved somebody that has a bunch of books, you know it's kind of a pain uh, to move around all of those books, to take up that shelf space, to invest the money. Books are not, not cheap. I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 books in my library. It's not a very big library. I'd say kind of a medium-sized. Um, it would be my goal to get somewhere around double that in the next 15 years or so uh, to increase increase the size of my personal library of material. But 100, or 1,500 books, that's, that's a, a good number. And uh, I didn't buy all the books myself. Some were given to me. And uh, I didn't uh, necessarily always pull, pay full price. I like to get a good deal on the books that I do buy. But I've got books that if I went and had a yard sale, I'd be lucky to get a quarter for them. And I've got other books that are worth $800 that are down in my office. Uh, don't, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Um, but it, <laughs> I do have some that are over value. But if you just average it out to, let's say, $10 a book, that's fifty. $15,000 worth of material sitting. Is that worth it? Is that worth having? And it's for something that's just going to sit on the shelf most of the time. It's not like you're using it every day, like your car, a $15,000 car that you're using every day. It's a $15,000 set of paper on, on a shelf. Is that, is that worth the investment? 
One study, or one website that I found had compiled a few studies on reading books, and they listed five practical benefits to having and reading books. Now, these studies were specific to paperback, not paperback, paper books, physical books, not the digital kind. They actually showed some contrast with the digital kind, and we'll talk about that in a little bit in the lesson. We get in the more practical side of things on digital versus uh, physical when it comes to the books. But five things they come up with uh, based on their studies. They said that based on being a reader, you could live longer. Readers live on average 23 months longer than non-readers. I don't know if that's because they're inside reading and not out having car accidents or, or what happens, but that's the study that they had. Uh, up to two years around um, that readers live longer than non-readers. Uh, you learn more. Here's their contrasting point. You learn more from reading a print book than you do from reading a digital book. You prepare yourself and your children for success based on a study that was done, I believe, by Yale University. Those who grew up with a library in their home were more literate and had more mathematical and technological problem-solving ability than those who grew up without a library in their home. Um, it improves your vocabulary to be a reader. You know, a lot more words. You're able to communicate better. Um, and it can strengthen your brain and reduce the risk of dementia uh, based on a study by uh, those who research Alzheimer's. Uh, that was some practical applications. You know, beyond that, we understand that books are a great way to improve our, educa our education. Uh, the brain surgeon, Ben Carson, that became nationally prominent over the last couple um, years or so, uh, he, I listened to a speech that he gave some years back, and he talked about growing up in, in, in a single, with a single mom and, and in a neighborhood or area where it would be very easy for him to go in a bad direction with his life. And he said what his mom did was his mom forced him to get books and write research papers. Uh, from the time he was a very young age, he had to go to the library, he had to get books, he had to write research papers, she had to turn them into his mom, and she would put red marks all over them, and and graded on that, and he said, I found out later that she didn't know how to read. Um, and so she was just marking my paper and making me do all this reading because she wanted to see me become educated. And so through that, he's a very successful brain surgeon. He was very involved nationally in, on the political level um, and things, but he got his education from reading. You know, someone once said, we used to think that the reason for society's ignorance was due to the lack of access to information. However, with the invention of the internet, it turns out that was not the problem at all. Um, people's access to information. You, know, we can have, you have on the tip of your fingertips um, all the information that is, that is out there that you could ever want to know or want to learn, and uh, that's not what we do uh, with these things at, at all. Um, so reading, it, it puts you into contact with, with, with great information to improve uh, your, your intelligence and your, your instruction and education. Here's the thing about reading. Reading gives you direct access to a professional in any field that you want to look at. You can have direct access to, to a professional. Um, now, I'll give you an example of this, and I'm, I'm going to give you a political example just because I heard the number that this person charges to give a speech recently. So don't get all sidetracked politically when I give this illustration. But if I wanted to have Ben Shapiro come to my house and give me a, a lesson in the way that, uh, that reason and morality has shaped Western culture, he would charge $100,000 for that sit-down between the two of us. Um, but I could get his book on the topic for $13. And I could sit down and have a two-hour instruction from an expert in a certain field and, and have that access for 13 bucks. Um, a book puts you in contact with a professional, someone who's, who's honed their ability and skill and knowledge and condensed that and given it to us, and, and it's right there on a piece of written material. 
I can walk down to my office right now and I can have a personal interview with generals, presidents, senators, historical figures, missionaries, pastors, Olympians, you name it. Um, and, and as long as it's in my 1500 volume library, I can go sit down with them and, and let them instruct me in, in a topic that they've spent time researching and studying and becoming an expert in. Books also help to develop our humility um, and keeping us humble. One author that I was reading in preparation for this lesson said it's very important to have a large number of unread books in your library. So what good is an unread book? Well, it reminds you how much you don't know. Uh, that's one thing that an unread book does. As you look at, if I go down and sit down in my, um, my library and look around, there are a lot of books that I have not read, some of them because they're not intended to be read, they're instru- reference-type material, but a lot of them that I haven't. But it just reminds me, I, I don't know that yet, or I haven't learned that yet, or I haven't taken time to, to study that yet. So, so it reminds us in, in of the need to be humble and how much more we still need to learn. I shared this thought with you, uh, this quote with you, when I taught on God's library in Sunday school a few months ago. But there's a book that was published in the 1800s, and it discussed the topic of books. This is what it had to say, kind of a lengthy quote from this book here. It says, No man has the right to bring up his children without surrounding them with books. It is a wrong to his family. He cheats them. Children learn to read by being in the presence of books. The love of knowledge comes with reading and grows upon it. And the love of knowledge in a young mind is almost a warrant against the inferior excitements of passions and vices. A little library, growing larger every year, is an honorable part of a young man's history. It is a man's duty to have books. A library is not a luxury, but is one of the necessities of life. It is not like a dead city of stones, yearly crumbling and needing repair, but like a spiritual tree. There it stands, and it yields its precious fruit from year to year and from age to age. The influence of books upon a man is remarkable. They make the man. You can judge a man more truly by the books and the papers which he reads than by the company which he keeps. For his associates are often in a manner imposed upon him, but his reading is the result of choice. And the man who chooses a certain class of books and papers unconsciously becomes more colored in their views, more rooted in their opinions, and the mind becomes fettered to their views." A good book is the most appropriate gift that a friendship can make. It never changes. It never grows unfashionable or old. It is soured by no neglect, is jealous of no rival, but always its clean, clear pages are ready to amuse, to interest, and to instruct. The voice that speaks the thoughts may change or grow still forever. The heart that prompted the kindly and cheering word may grow cold and forgetful, but the page that mirrors its changeless faith is changeless, faithful, and immortal." The book that records the incarnation of divine love is God's best gift to man. And the books which are filled with kindly thought and generous sympathy are the best gifts of a friend to a friend. Every family ought to be well supplied with a choice supply of books for reading. This may seem from consequence of its neglect and abuse on the one hand, and from its value and importance on the other. Parents should furnish their children with the necessary means, opportunities, and direction of a Christian education. Give them proper books. Without books, says the quaint Bartholin, God is silent, justice is dormant, science at a stand, philosophy is lame, letters are dumb, and all things involved in Cameron darkness. Bring them up to the habit of properly reading and studying these books. A reading people will soon become a thinking people, and a thinking people must become a great people. Every book you furnish your child, which it reads with their reflection, is like the cast of a weaver's 
shuttle, adding another thread to an indestructible web of existence. It will be more to him, worth more to him than all of your hoarded gold and silver. I have a long book there, a long quote there, but it is written in a book in the 1800s about why it's important for a family to have a library, especially when it comes to the education, instruction, and sharing of values to children. I ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is kind of a, a classic passage if you are going to look at a message on the idea of books. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 13. We're going to read this uh, here. I'll read it. You can follow along. Understand what's going on here. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, and he is giving him some instruction. But he kind of ends the letter here saying, look, there's some things that I need you to bring me. Uh, there's things that I value. As, as Paul is getting to the end of his life here, he says, you know what? There's a couple things that I want to give me comfort in my, in my last couple days. And so what was important to Paul? What did Paul really want when he was down to the end of his life and, and didn't have much hope for the future? What was it that he needed? We see this in verse number 13. The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee. So he said, I need a coat. It's cold in prison here. Um, can you bring that? that? That's a need that I have. Then he says, continuing, and the books, but especially the parchments. Now, the parchments there be a reference to the scriptures, uh, the, the Bible, but he said, there's some books that I want. Go ahead and bring me, go ahead and bring me my books. Bring me my books. That's something that I value. That's something I need. You look at, you look at Paul and you say, well, what's, what's the point, Paul? You're fixing to have your head cut off. Uh, what do you need to put any more information in there for? You're about to, you're about to lose it. Uh, you're not going to have that much time left. What was the point? What was the reason to have books? And Paul is communicating here that this is something that I value. I value having the Word of God. I value having books for my continued instruction. And we're going to see specifically why that was important for Paul to communicate to Timothy here in a few minutes uh, as we continue the message. But let's open a word of prayer, ask God to bless this thought tonight, and we'll continue the study here on how we're to build our own personal libraries. Lord God, we love you, and we thank you for the time we have, uh, Lord, in your word. And as that quote we just read said, Lord, your word was uh, the gift that you chose to give to mankind. We understand the gift of salvation and, and of Jesus Christ and everything that comes along with that, Lord. But when it comes to what we physically get to interact with on a daily basis to understand you and the truths that you want to share with us, you gave us a book. Uh, Lord, I pray we would learn to value, uh, value your word, to value books, Lord, and we'd be instructed from the lesson tonight. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. To begin tonight, I would like to start with the priority of a library. I've tried to emphasize that kind of in the introduction of that this is something that's important. Having books, reading books, being involved in continuing to educate yourself in with, with the printed word, printed material, uh, it's important. There's a priority that we should put on that. And as we start looking at the priority of our library, I want to talk about the foundation of a Christian's library. What would be the foundation? Where is our library built in or what is our library built upon? Where do we start? How do we how do we go about this? What's the starting point? We see it all goes back to the Word of God. The foundation for the Christian, the foundation for the church is the Bible. It is the Word of God. And what, what is the Bible? It's, it's how God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. God didn't go and write a message in the sky. God didn't go and have, have um, an angel come to us and, and, and speak tonight or into your life. How did God reveal himself to us? It's through the word of God. It's through the Bible. And what is the Bible? The Bible's a library. What is a library? It's a collection of books. What's the Bible? It's a collection of books. 
You want to start your library, let's start with 66 books to go into it. Right there, you've got 66 books to stick into your library tonight. Um, and you have those already, so you're on your way to having a, having a library. But God gave us, gave mankind as our foundation of our faith and of our church, he gave us a library. And he said, this is what you're going to build your faith upon. You know, this library has a variety of books in it. When God gave us a library, he gave us some books that are history books. There's history books that are in here. He gave us some narratives, some historical narratives. There's, there's the stories of, of Joshua and the judges and the gospels, all these historical na- narratives. There's some academic books in here. Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, some, some academic stuff. There's some exciting books about prophecy in here. Uh, just some exciting, exciting reading that if it wasn't true, we'd categorize it as science fiction. Um, but it's, it's some prophecy that God put here in the, in the Word of God. He gave us some family trees. And he, he recorded those for us and put them down uh, in his word. He gave, us, uh, he gave us some legal documents, some legal books, uh, some law books. You want to ha- tell somebody, t- you said, I've got my library and I've got five law books. Um, in the, right in the very beginning, in the front of my library, there's five books of the law. And then people are going to think you're really smart because you have the Pentateuch uh, in there. You have the law. So even in the library that God gave to us as his way to reveal, he's got a variety of books in there and of topics and of resources that he's put together into the Bible. We understand that the Bible is the foundation for the believer. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 20, describing a Christian and how we were saved, it says there, ye are built upon the foundation. So we have a foundation. What is the foundation we have as Christians and as believers? He says, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What's being described there? Where do we have the apostles and the prophets focused on Christ given to us? In the word of God. We have it right here. The apostles and the prophets and their focus, the corner of what they've given to us is Jesus Christ. And says you're built upon that foundation, the foundation of the word of God. It's the foundation of our faith and practice as believers. And as such, it should influence every part of our life. Every part of our lives should be touched and impacted and influenced by the Word of God. God's given it to us for that purpose. It should impact our families. It should impact our home. It should impact our marriage. It should impact the way that we interact with one another. It should impact where we go to church and why we go to church. And it should impact um, how we go about our jobs and our businesses and carry ourselves and the character that we build and it should impact the kind of books that we keep in our house as well. It should impact our library. It should be part of that foundation. It should influence our education and our instruction. What did Proverbs say about getting wisdom, getting knowledge? It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want true wisdom. You want true instruction. You want a good education. It's got to start right here. It's got to start with God. And that's where a real education is going to be built upon. Wisdom is built upon the fear of the Lord. You need to set the standard for your library as the Word of God. That's the determining factor on what should and should not be in my library and what should and should not be allowed to affect me as a Christian. The Bible's the standard. The Bible's the standard for every part of our life, and it goes into our reading as well. This means that all of your library should be judged by the Word of God. Now, I'll say in my library, there are things in my library that disagree with the Word of God. But the Bible's still the standard. So when I read this in this book, and it goes against the Bible, I ignore what this book has to say. Um, There might be some other things in there that are beneficial to me, but I always go back to what does God say about this before I consider what man says about it. Start your library, start your reading, 
with the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Let that be our foundation. Before you pick up another book to read, ask the question, have you read your Bible? Let's start there. Daily basis, getting into the Word of God. And that's what's going to set the tone for your life, for your instruction, for your education. And this, if you're reading this and you have it sitting on the nightstand next to some of the other books you've been reading, it might make some of those other books feel uncomfortable or make you feel about uncomfortable about some of those other books being there. Uh, the company doesn't go well together. Um, so let this be your standard. and you get, You'll get more of this. It'll impact what happens with the rest of our library. If you get more of what man thinks than you do of what God thinks, your thinking will line up with man instead of lining up with God. If you get more of what man thinks than you do of what God thinks, then your thinking is going to line up more with what man than it does with God. So start your library, start your reading with the Word of God. It is the foundation of the Christian's library. Secondly, under this point about picking our library, our, our, our start planning our library, I remember what my point was, priority, the priority of our library. Um, we looked at the foundations of the Word of God. We see, secondly, that the focus, the focus of the Christian's library. Matthew 22, verse number 37 says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And with all thy mind. You know, we love God with all of our heart by turning our emotions and our decisions over to Him. We love God with all of our soul when we're spiritually submitted to Him and we're walking with Him. But we see we're also commanded by Christ to love God with all of our mind. We should be developing our mind with things that point us towards God and towards a love of God. This is a great benefit of a good library. If you're reading good stuff, it can point your mind to a greater love for God. It doesn't matter if you're reading a book on the a book of Ephesians, a book on robotics, or a book on insects. When we develop our minds to appreciate and exercise dominion over creation, it points us back to the God who is the creator, points us back to a greater love for God. There is, however, junk that we could be reading that points us away from God. We'll talk about that more as we continue in the lesson here, but it does not have to be limited to just Bible commentaries for books to develop our minds in a way that brings glory to God. There's a lot of good books that are out there about a lot of random topics. If you like electrical engineering, if you like robotics, if you like geology, if you like these other things, as long as they agree with the Word of God, we can enjoy these topics and we can develop our mind because God's given us a mind and He wants us to use our mind. And uh, most of us get out of high school or college and we put it in park and we just do what we have to do and we never continue to develop our mind. But books are a way to keep doing that, to develop our minds in a way that honors God. So as we see this idea that we were to love God with our mind, I just want to make the point, uh, we need to be readers. We need to be reading. We all know this. How many people make New Year's resolutions? Um, I need to read more. I'm going to read a book a month. I'm going to read a book a week. I'm going to read. I was talking uh, to pastor. He was sharing with me. Um, he had talked to a pastor when he was in uh, Illinois at the conference that said on average he reads, I believe it was three books a week, and he's been doing that for as long as he can remember. Um, when I was a young person, I read probably that much, and I got into college. I didn't read quite that much, but did a lot of reading, and then I kind of read myself out and took a break there for a while and been trying to get back into that habit of, of reading for a couple of years now. I've been trying to get about three books a month in. I uh, haven't done that this year and didn't do it quite last year, but it's a, it's a goal that I have to be more of a reader. We all understand that. We know that we would be better people if we read in our free time instead of the rest of what we do with our free time. 
There's one man who said, there's more knowledge to be found in the smallest bookstore than can be found in all of television programming. Um, it's, it's in there that we know if we read, we're going to be uh, better people. Reading is a skill. It is a skill and a virtue that should be learned and developed. When we put out that comment, we all need to read. There are people who hear that and they say, well, I'm not a reader, right? I'm not a reader, okay? Well, reading is a skill. Reading is a discipline. Reading is a virtue. Just because you're not a reader doesn't mean that excuses you from that obligation to develop that skill. You know, I'm not a singer, um, but in college I took voice lessons, and I got a lot better at being a singer. I was not a drywaller, and then I worked with Pastor Caleb, and now I can do drywall. Uh, I was not a, uh, always a public speaker, but something I learned how to do. I'm not a dieter, but last year I lost 15 pounds because I didn't like what the scale said back to me when I got on it around Christmas time. You know, we can be things that we're not naturally. And if you're not naturally a reader, it's something you can be, but it's going to take work. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to learn how to do it. Reading is a skill, like most skills, that is best taught when young. And we're not just talking about literacy. Uh, We're talking about having a love for reading and a discipline of self-improvement. When it comes to reading, there's three, three steps to it, three things we need to be doing as readers. Number one, we need to read. Get material, read material, ingest material, fill yourself up with with information. Then we need to remove. We go through that information we received by reading, and we compare it to the Word of God, and we get rid of everything that doesn't match. So we read, we remove, we call that discernment. Anything we read, and I have the handout that I've given to you, and I have in there recommended authors, and recommended is in quotation marks. Why? Because we don't read anything without some guard, without discernment, other than the Word of God. Because everything needs to be judged by the Word of God, even if it's by a good author, even if it's by somebody we trust. We read it, and we compare it back to the Word of God. So we read, then we remove, and then we need to retain. We take the truths that we've learned and the instruction that we've been given, and we need to hold on to it. Even if you don't, and let me say, even if you don't remember everything you read, you still will be better for having read it. Uh, Just like eating food. Uh, You know, you might not remember what you had for, for lunch two days ago. But you're better off for having eaten than having not eaten. Or might, well, most, well, we'll not talk about that uh, as far as how, how good off we are for how much we eat as Americans. But it helps you, even if you're not seeing the immediate fruit or remembering everything that you read. Spurgeon put it this way. Dear brethren, we must cultivate ourselves to the highest possible point. And we should do this first by gathering in knowledge that we may fill the barn. Then, by acquiring discrimination that we may winnow the heap... And lastly, by a firm retentiveness of mind by which we may lay up the winnowed grain in the storehouse. So read, remove, and retain. That's what we do when we get a a book. We read it, we get the information, we remove the stuff that doesn't agree with the Word of God, and then we seek to retain the things that we learned. When you study books in the Bible, there's three things the Bible says about books. There's a lot of references to books, and we'll talk about some of those here in a minute. But when you look at the word books, with the S on it, it shows up in seven verses of Scripture. It shows up eight times, shows up in seven verses. And when you see the books, there's, there's kind of three categories you could put them in. Number one, there's books that should be read. We just read that in here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul said, I want the books. Bring me the books. Why? Because I want to do some reading. I want to instruct myself. You know, when we get to the book of Acts chapter uh, 17, 
sorry, Acts chapter 19, verse number 17, we see there's some books that should be burned. Uh, that was where they had the books of sorcery. And after they got saved, they brought them all in and they didn't take them down to the consignment shop to try to get their money back. No, they burned them. They said that stuff is junk and we want it out of our lives. So when it comes to books, there's books that need to be read. There's books that need to be burned. And there's a very interesting one that we're not going to take time to talk about tonight. But in John chapter 21, John says there's books that should be written. He, he gets done writing his book in the end of the, the Gospels. And go back and read this verse in John chapter 21, verse 25. He says, those are all the things that Jesus did. These are all the acts that Jesus had done, how Jesus impacted me. And he said, if all the books that should be written were written, then the world couldn't even contain them about what Jesus did. He said, if everybody did what I just did, it's kind of John musing at the end of his book. If everybody did what I just did and wrote down how Jesus impacted them, wow, we could fill the world with good Christian books. Imagine if everybody in this room sat down and wrote a book on how, what Jesus did for you. What, what would that do to, to, to spread the news of Christ? And John kind of reminisces on that and said, wow, there's books that he says should, not could. He says there's books that should be written. Christians should be writing down what God has done for them, just like I just did. That's kind of John's thought. That's a fun thought to think about, but that's what the Bible says when it comes to books. There's books that need to be read. There's books that need to be burned. There's books that need to be written. This brings us now to the fruit of a Christian's library. What happens when you do have a good library and you use a good library? Well, you'll be better. You'll be wiser. You'll be more useful to God. Uh, there's more that you can do when you're getting instruction for yourself from good books. You know, if you're going to minister to others, you need to be ministered to. Uh, this specifically applies to those of us that are serving in ministry and teaching and sharing things with others or in your, even in your witness or in discipleship. You need to be putting more information into you so that you can give it out to other people. Think of the example of a sponge. You can only wring out of a sponge as much water as is in there. And you're not going to get any more out of it. You need to pour more water in if you want to squeeze more water out. And we go into ministry and we serve God and we squeeze our water out and we come back and you know what, I need somebody to pour on me a little bit. And books are a great way to do that. Coming to, coming to services and listening to preaching and reading the Word of God, but then going to books and I'm having somebody pour into me so that I can pour into others as well. As I said already, reading can put you under the teaching of the greatest men and women that have ever lived. You can hear their instruction. Sit down one-on-one -on -one and let them teach you what they've learned and how God has been good to them and what God has done with them and through them and to them and, and how they've gone through struggles and God's met their needs. You also, if you become a reader, will be more disciplined. You know, we've trained ourselves in culture today to have short attention spans. How many of you have, have looked up something on YouTube? Maybe you want to figure out how to fix something around the house. A uh, very common thing is, how do I get this part off of the washing machine so that I can get it running again? Go to YouTube, and there's a video that's a minute and a half, and there's one that's 17 minutes. Which one did you click on? All right, now the 17-minute one's really going to tell me how to do it right. The minute and a half one, I'm going to watch, but that didn't help me at all. Now I've got to go back and watch the 17-minute. But what do we do? We go back to the one that's shorter. We always go back to what's short. We've been taught and trained to have about the goal now is a 15-second attention span. If I can get your attention in 15 seconds, then, then I've done my job. What about the ads? They got a five-second timer before the skip comes on. Five seconds to get your attention because that's, that's all that we can get your attention for. I mean, to have a young person sit down and read a two, three hundred page book, like that's got to be impossible, right? Why? Because they've been trained to have no discipline, to focus, to pay attention. Reading will do that. Reading will make you a more disciplined individual, have a better, um, a better attention span. Some cautions when it comes to the books that we choose. 
number one, who we are reading. We need to be careful about who we read. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. When you read a book, you are sitting under someone's counsel. And we mentioned, all right, you can sit under the counsel of some great people uh, of history that have lived, and you can learn great things from them, but you can also pick up something from the ungodly, and you can sit under their counsel for as long as you read that book. And they're going to teach you what to think and how to think, and they want to get your mind thinking the way that they think and get you away from the Word of God. So be careful who you're reading after. Just because it's at the Christian bookstore. Just because the guy, the guy's a pastor that, that wrote the book. Look, what do they believe? What do they teach? Where, what denomination are they a part of? Uh, what, what do they think about these topics biblically? There's, there's very popular pastors uh, that are writing books that, that Christians are reading. And these men are Calvinists. And they don't believe the word of God. And they, they don't believe in salvation by grace through faith. And they don't believe that people, people sin. They get out of uh, and this, all this. They're, they're wrong. Be careful who you're reading after. So know who you're reading after. Look into that when you're getting books. Also, be, be guarded about what you're reading. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I'll set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Hate the, one that, the work of them that turn aside, it shall not cleave unto me. There's certain books that Christians have no business reading. Um, don't, don't sit down and put yourself in, in that position where you're sitting something wicked before your eyes. So we need to have caution about what kind of things we put into our library. And then this next point, we have kind of the idea of developing readers. How do we get young people involved in reading? Well, surround your kids with good books. Have, have good books around. I remember when I was a, a young person, we had the guy come to the house selling encyclopedias. Um, and my parents got a set. And I spent a lot of time with those encyclopedias because I couldn't ask Siri um, where something was or how big something was. I'd go ask my parents and they'd say, Go look it up, right? Go look it up. And then if you didn't know how to spell it, you're in trouble um, because you can't look it up anymore. Um, But you had these books to go back to, to study and and to learn from. Um, So surround your kids with good books. This is an important one, though. You need to model reading to children. You need to model reading to children. If you're on the couch watching TV and tell them to go read a book, uh, it's not going to go very well. They're going to say, well, you're going to say, well, it's really important. You should be a reader. Well, I've never seen you read a book. They've never seen you read a book. There's no reason for them to go read a book. They're not going to see that value. Let your children see you read. This is an important one. Let them see you reading your Bible. Going back to reading the Word of God. Your children should see you reading the Word of God. They should know that's mom or dad's or grandma or grandpa's or aunt or uncle, whatever relationship you have, they should see that's their habit to sit down and read the Word of God. And it shows shows them that the Bible is important to you. And if they see the Bible is important to you, they're going to say, you know what, that should be important to me as well. And that carries over into other reading as well. If they see you reading, they say, you know what, mom, dad, they, th- they think a lot of this reading thing. They think it's pretty important. They give a lot of time uh, to reading. Maybe I should look into that myself. Model reading for your children. I told you we were going to get back to this verse um, when Paul said, bring the books. And interesting, Paul's at the end of his life. There's not really much he's going to gain from a human perspective of bringing the books, but what is he doing here in the book of of Timothy? He's training a young person. He's training a young pastor. What did he tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15? 2 Timothy 2, verse number 15, what's the first word there? Study. Study to show thyself approved. Timothy, you need to be studying. Timothy, bring me some books. He's modeling what he's expecting. 
What do you expect? He's modeling for this young preacher. He said, hey, you need to be someone who studies. Hey, why don't you bring me some books? Because you know what? I'm someone that studies. And even though I'm at the end of my life, I want to show you that reading is valuable because I'm telling you to do it, so I'm going to do it myself. He gave this example, modeling reading. Also, to develop readers, you should require reading. You require your children to do other things that are good for them. You require them to brush their teeth. You require them to take a bath. You require them to change their clothes. Uh, You require them to change their sheets and clean the room. Uh, You require them to go to school. You require them to eat their vegetables. Uh, Those are all things that are good for them. Reading is good for them as well. And so so require it of them. And then also, as you require reading, reward reading. Uh, Go ahead and reward them for investing in that discipline. So some principles there about the priority we have of a library. Secondly, tonight we're going to look at picking a library. How do we go about choosing what kind of things we should have in our library? My first point for this is one I hinted at in the introduction. That's paper or plastic. Which one are we going to go with, paper or plastic? Now let me say, e-readers, audiobooks are great tools. I have had them in the past. I have used them in the past. And there's a benefit of, of space. Um, you know, Miss Kim can't keep 1,500 books at her house, uh, but she can put them on a tablet, right? Have them there to have them there to read. You can have the, the space and moving it around. You know, if you're going to go haul off my library somewhere or haul off the library on the tablet, hey, it's a lot easier to uh, to move the tablet. But the downside of that is uh, I had a reader. I mentioned I had one. Uh, it got lifted out of my bag at the airport, and somebody else has a reader now. Uh, this was years ago, and you know what? If I'd have had my library in my backpack, they wouldn't have picked it up and walked off with it because um, they couldn't have, and I wouldn't have been moving either. Um, but they're, they're valuable tools. Uh, you can increase the font size as, as you get to the point where, where reading is a little bit more difficult and brighten up the page and all these things. So there is a value that is there. Um, one trouble that I have when I'm, when I'm traveling and I'm reading is that if I'm going to be at the airport for two hours and then I'm going to be on the airplane for an hour and a half, then I'm going to be at a layover for an hour and a half and another 45-minute flight, I can read about three or four books in that time. So if I'm going to read for the trip there and the trip back, I need to bring about eight books with me to be reading the whole time. And so having something in a digital format is, is nice for these circumstances. But I would still advocate for you to work on having a physical library having actual books that are sitting on actual shelves in an actual room in your actual house. Um, there's, there's value there. Practically, studies have shown you learn and you remember better when you read something on paper than when you read, read it on a screen. One reason we talked about already is the screens taught you to have a short attention span. And so as you're reading, people skip a lot when they read on a screen a lot more than when they read on a book. It's just, it's just how our minds operate. You can easily lose a digital library if a program shuts down or removes a book. There was a book um, a year and a half ago that Amazon said, we're not making that book available anymore. They took it off everybody's tablets. They got it off their whole program, and you couldn't get the book anymore um, because they just decided to get rid of it. What happens when they decide to do that to Christian books? And all of your library just just is gone. Well, they can't do it to my library because it's in my office, um, and they can't get down down there. So you have um, some protection there. To get a little uh, physical, uh, philosophical on this idea and the importance of books, is kind of has to do with the way that we interact with the world. You know, man's a trinity. We have body, soul, and spirit. And it's not that we have these things independent of one another. It's not like we are a soul that has a body. We are a body. We are a soul. We are, we are a spirit. And when these are, these are separated from one, one another, uh, there's something missing. When somebody dies, we have a funeral. We're grieving. Why? Their body's still here, but their soul is gone. 
Their soul's gone if they're a Christian to be with the Lord. And there's, there's a separation, a disunity between these two things, the, the soul and, and the body, and, and we're missing it. And we know that soul is in heaven with the Lord, but they're missing their body. Because God said, I'm going to give you a new body. He's going to reunite. He said, the body's still important. Even though it's going to come down here, it's going to rot. When we get to the, to the rapture, I'm going to give you a new body, and you'll reunite that soul and body. So there's, there's value in having the physical tied to the spiritual um, or, the, or the metaphysical there. You know, a digital book is kind of like the soul of a book without the body. You don't get to interact with it the same way that you do. Doing this is different than, okay, that was about two chapters ago that they made a point about this too. There's a difference there in interacting. We have been given a body to interact physically with this world. And when we take a book out of its pages, we've kind of separated the two. Um, and so there's, there's value in interacting with a physical book. That's just one example is, oh, I just saw a page or two ago. But when there's just this motion, you don't have that same interaction. When I was preparing for the message here, I had read about eight different books on this topic, and I had them scattered around my desk. And, oh, that person made a point in this red book, and it was about this far in, and I found the spot. Because I remembered reading because I'd interacted with it physically. If I had it on a computer, I'd have to get it and search it and go through all the words. And, okay, he didn't use that word. What word did he use in that thing that I'm trying to remember? You don't interact with it the same way. So there's some value there in dealing with a physical um, book. When it comes to dealing with young people, having a physical library communicates the value of books more clearly than a digital library does. To walk a child into a room that's got books all around that says, this is something we've invested in and we value, and we're giving it, giving it a priority in our home, as opposed to, well, just scroll through and look at all the books that I've downloaded. There's, there's a difference there in, in the value that it communicates. Again, there's a place for digital products. I'm not against them. I think they're valuable tools, and we should use them and, and, and take some value in that. Listening to an audiobook when you're driving, because you can't read while you drive. Um, you shouldn't be reading while you're driving, at least. Um, but there are value for there, but there's also value in the physical, in the physical book that you get to interact with. So when it comes to building our library, where do we start? What, what's, what's the, what should we start with? And this is where the handout that I passed out um, is going to come into play. I've given you a list of if you want to start a Christian library, a biblical library, what are some tools that you should have in there for yourself, uh, for Bible study, and for your, for your children, um, other people to use as well. The Bible talks about lots of different types of books. In Genesis chapter 5, there we see that there's a record of the families and the genealogies, um, the books of the generations we see several times. There's historical books, books about history uh, referenced in the Bible. There are God's books. We talked about those in, in the lesson we had on God's library. The Bible, the Bible referenced the Bible as a book. There are books about geography. Joshua talks about the men going through the land and describing the cities into parts, into a book. There's, uh, um, there's a description of geography. There's political books. Samuel told the people the man of the kingdom and wrote it in a book. How is the kingdom going to be structured politically, governmentally? We're going to put that down in a book. The Bible has biographies, references several times. Now the acts of so-and-so, are they not written in these books? We have biographies described in the Bible. And the Bible also talks about, as we said, there are some wicked books that need to be gotten rid of. The Bible references those. So when we get to building our own library, what do we, what do we start with? Um, this is on the sheet that we passed out. First of all, start with some Bibles. King James Bibles, have several of them in your library. I encourage you to have several of them because sometimes you leave one at church and you need to have one at home or you leave one in the car or you need one uh, in the car when you're out driving around. I have probably five or six Bibles in my office downstairs. I have four Bibles in my truck. Um, I have probably three Bibles at my house 
Bibles. I have them everywhere um, so that I can always have one uh, when I need one. So have some Bibles. Have some good Bible dictionaries. I put some recommendations down there for you. But to, as you read your Bible, you come across a word you don't know what it means, look it up. And a good Bible dictionary will help you do that. I've listed those on the sheet. Um, have some good Bible concordances. There's a couple recommendations there. Cruden's is a lot smaller. Strong's is a lot bigger. I think Strong's has got a name from, I think it might be, might be named after the guy that wrote it, or it might be because it's so heavy. When you pick it up, you'll get a lot stronger using a Strong's concordance. Um, and there's a, another reference to the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, a great tool for Bible study. Um, they're kind of in the Bible um, concordance category. Have some Bible handbooks, and I have several recommendations listed for you there. Just aids as you're studying the Bible. Some Bible commentaries, some simple ones, a little bit more complex ones to you can go to and reference when you have a passage you're trying to understand. Look at what a couple other people studied and thought about that topic. Um, hymnals. Good to have a hymnal in your library. Have several of them. I have probably eight or nine hymnals, different ones. Um, in my office downstairs, I've got a whole shelf of hymnals so that we can, we can have songs and we sing songs in our family devotions. And it's good to have a hymnal during uh, COVID, to have a hymnal as we were at home watching the services, right? To have a hymnal to sing along with the, with the books. And even here in church, I appreciate looking around and seeing people holding the hymnals. I know we have the screens, but again, that physical interaction with, with the actual book, um, there's, there's value there. Have some hymnals, have some devotionals, uh, just some, some, some people to give you some thoughts, stirring your heart when it comes to uh, the word of, your, word of God. So that's kind of a place to start. Get some of these things in place in your personal library. Where do you go from there after you want to, uh, want to expand your library? I've already got these kind of resources. What should I add to it? Well, we have men come through and speak, people that are evangelists and, and pastors that travel, and a lot of times they bring books with them. I'd encourage you, go to the book table. Go see what they have to offer. Go see what they're reading, because what they've done is they've curated the books that they know of, and they've brought some that they think would be valuable for you. And so you're having a man who's been in ministry for a long time picking a couple books to say these are valuable, or they're books that he's written. And saying, here's my expertise that I'd like. If you want to hear more of what I spoke out there, come read what I wrote back here. Uh, if you took every time Pastor Starr came in, if he comes about every other year, and you bought five books, you would never get everything he has on his table. He, I think he carries somewhere in the neighborhood of 45 or so different books. Uh, a lot of them that he's written are other ones that he's picked out and said, this is a valuable resource. So that's a good place to, to add to your library. Every time I go to summer camp with young people, I bring about $100 budgeted for books that I'm going to buy at their book table and, uh, and have those to get more resources. Another place to grow your library is get recommendations from good men. Ask missionaries. Have a missionary come through. And you can talk to them after service. Say, hey, what's a book that you've read recently that, that you've really enjoyed? What's a book that's impacted you? How, how, what got you? Is there a book that you read that, that prompted you to go into missions as a young person and, and get some recommendations from pastors, from missionaries, or from other people? You have somebody influential in your life. Say, what's a book that really impacted you as a person? Um, and, and, and get those recommendations because if it blessed somebody else, it can be a blessing to you as well. Another tip about growing your library is look at a bibliography. So going way back into, into, into high school now, bibliography, that's the list at the end of the book of the books that that author used to make his book. If you go to one of Pastor Starr's books on the um, speaking in tongues, to pull one example, you go to the back of the book, and he's got about eight or nine books that he's referenced that I read these books to help me learn about this topic. So if you enjoyed that topic, you'll probably enjoy the books that he referenced there as well. So there's a, there's a tip on how you can find more books that would be recommended. Look at the bibliography. There's advice often given when it comes to picking books for your library, and the advice is to read um, men that are dead. 
Read Dead Men. That's the recommendation you're going to get often. Well, I'm going to add a caveat to that. That's not always true um, because I'm an author and I've written some books and I don't want you to wait till I die to buy them. Um, I want you to go ahead and get them now and you can, you can enjoy them now and not wait till, wait till I'm dead. But the principle behind that advice is you see where that man's life ended up based on what he believed. If he's already died, you can see, okay, his life was messed up, so I probably don't want to read his stuff. Or he had a fruitful ministry, so whatever he was doing was working. So you get to see the testimony of the man who wrote the material. This goes back to what we talked about, about being careful who you read. Look at the man, not just the material, or the woman, whoever's writing the material. Look at them, not just at what they've written, because what they are comes through in their material. So look at the people you're reading after. Some practical areas um, to expand your library beyond just these Bible topics we've talked about, or even just Bible books um, in general. Obviously, again, we need to exercise discernment with everything we read, but you almost can't go wrong with books about history and biographies. If it doesn't matter, if you read the biography of Walt Disney, there's going to be things in there about being a, being a, a diligent, disciplined worker that will be beneficial to you. you. You read biographies. You read about men and, and the choices that they made and how those things re- ended up. That's going to be beneficial to you. History, biographies, if a person's life was worth writing a book about, it's probably worth reading about as well. Get time-tested books, um, books that have been around for a while. In that list of books that I gave you on the other recommended authors list um, on the sheet that I handed out, a lot of names on there of men who've been dead for a long time, but their books are still popular. If a book was written 150 years ago and people are still buying it today, there's probably some good stuff in there. There's probably some stuff that's worth reading. If, another test for you as you're reading a book. Is this still going to matter 50 years from now? Anybody else going to buy this book? If this, book's, if nobody's gonna, if this book is going to be off-print In 50 years, it's probably not a book that's got a lot of value to it. But books that have been time-tested, things by R.A. Torrey, by Charles Spurgeon, by Andrew Murray, by A.W. Tozer, by Ironside, these Christian authors, that their books are still valuable hundreds of years later. Well, they're they're books that would be good to have. What about books that we read for entertainment? Is that okay? Can can we read books just to be entertained, or does it always have to be classroom instruction? Um, It's okay to read for entertainment, but it's like dessert. Dessert, you get to enjoy that, right? But if all you have is dessert, you're not going to be, well, you will be a very well-rounded person, um, but not in the way that you want to be um, as far as, as that goes. So, yes, there is an opportunity to read just for entertainment, but it shouldn't be your primary consumption. It's like getting to jump in all the leaves. Yes, that's a lot of fun. You go jump in all the leaves. You have the kids do that fall activity. But jumping in all the leaves comes after you've raked them all up. And it comes before you have to rake them all up again because you've done scattered them everywhere around the yard again when you jumped in them. You get to enjoy that, but make sure it's in its proper moderation and not be all that you're doing. Read biographies. Those are entertaining. Uh, one of the most exciting books that I ever read um, in college was the uh, biography of Adonai Judson, To the Golden Shore. Um, Oh boy, exciting. You want to talk about a, a suspenseful, exciting story, just read the life of a missionary. And they're, they're exciting books. Read those for your entertainment. Read things that have value. There's room for many classical pieces of literature in a library of a Christian. These books have been popular for hundreds of years because they have, been, they have something true to say about the human condition. They shouldn't be your whole diet, but if the book's been around for hundreds of years and it's impacted Western culture, Western society, because it's been a classical book, it's, it, there's, there's value that's there because it's, it's written about something that's true. 
and we need to eliminate empty and wicked things from our from our reading. Things like romance novels, things about books, things like books about evil, sorcerers, wit- wizards, violence for the sake of violence, horror, depravity. Uh, these things that are out there, the, the crime books that all it is is describing the gory details of, of what happened. That's not healthy. That's not good things to be filling your mind with. Um, we need to eliminate empty, valueless things, and we need to empty, uh, eliminate wicked things from our, right, our reading. What you read affects what you think, and it affects what you believe. So number three this evening, we'll wrap this up fairly quickly. Some just practical tips when it comes to your library. Um, number one, we need to go through and purge our library every once in a while. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. What a great verse for looking at your library. Prove them all, look at them all, and say, okay, what's good? I'm going to hold on to that. If, I'm not, if it's not good, I don't need to hold on to it. I'm going to go ahead and, and get rid of it. We need to purge our library. Go ahead and go through your library and get rid of some stuff. There are things that end up there that are worthless. Um, I, every once in a while, I'll go into my library and look, and there's a collection of either hunting or gun magazines, and they're just sitting there. And I looked at them once. I'm never going to look at them again. Let's get rid of those. They don't need to just sit there in my library. They're, they're, they're just worthless in that regard. Um, go through, find out what's worthless. Or if there's something in there that's junk, go ahead and get rid of it. We have our library to influence others as well as ourselves, and we need to be careful what we're exposing people to. Test it all, keep what's good, and get rid of the rest. Here's a tip for purging your library for those of us who feel that it is um, almost a sin to throw away a book. Um, we, we love books so much, we don't want to get rid of them. We can't, we can't let them go. Sort your books into I've read them or I haven't read them, even if you're just doing it mentally. I've read it or I haven't read it. If you haven't read it, go ahead and keep it as long as it's not something wicked. But if you have read it, Keep what you would read again. Keep what you want someone else to read. Get rid of what you started to read and didn't want to finish. And get rid of things that you would not reread or would not recommend somebody else to read. And there's some, there's some categories that you can get out of your library. So purging your library. Another recommendation for building your own library is to organize it. Organize your library. Label your books. Put your name in them. The way I did this is I bought, bought return address labels, and I put, this is from the library of Pastor Derek Renshaw, and it has my phone number, and it has my email address on it, because I like, to, I like books, and I like to share books, and I like to loan out books, and looks, books do not like to return. They don't make good boomerangs. Um, you give a book away, sometimes it doesn't come back. I remember one time I was in college, and I was in a fellow's uh, classmate's room looking at his library, because that's something I do, go look at other people's libraries, looking at it, I said, hey... I have that book. Well, I used to have that book, and I pulled it off the shelf, and I opened it up, and my name was in the front of it. Um, I said, I, I gave it to so-and-so before he left college. He says, oh, I got it from so-and-so when he left. Like, well, I'm taking it back because it's got my name in it right here. So put your, put your name in it, return address labels. That was a great tip um, uh, that I found to keep your books labeled uh, consistently. Then inventory your book. Know what you have. Write them down, whether that's in a spreadsheet or there's some Bible or some computer programs that you can use to help with this. One that I use is a program called Libib, L-I-B-I-B. It's on your sheet there, and I use that for inventorying my books. There's one I found recommended. I know nothing about the program, but it's called Zotero, also a book inventory program. Both of those are free, as long as you have less than 5,000 books um, to put in there, and that fits most of us, I believe, except for Brother Hunt. And... uh, You can use those to organize your books, inventory them, and then organize them. Uh, The best way to organize books that I've found is to organize them by topics that make sense to you. 
look at your books and say, okay, this shelf is going to be biographies, and this shelf is going to be, so in my office I have this shelf, I have children's ministry, I have King James Bible resources, I have creation, I have counseling, I have family information, um, and I have uh, stuff relating to teenagers, and I got one, Baptist history. Then over on this shelf, I have uh, Israelite history, and then I have old books that are over 100 years old in a glass, glass shelf, and then I have, um, I've been moving stuff around. I have my, iron, my Lockyer stuff, I have my David Cloud stuff. Organize them in categories that make sense to you so you know where to get them if you want them. Uh, you can group authors, even if the author is written in different categories. You say, you know what, I want everything this guy wrote together. But do what makes sense to you. Do them, organize them by topics. Um, and if you're really... Um, got some time to organize, put the topic in alphabetical order by author so that when you go to your, when you get a big library and you have several thousand volumes and you, your shelf is this big and you want to find that one book and you looked it up on your inventory app, well, I know his author's name is this, then I can find the book there. So that's a, that's a, that's a tip that you can get to as your library grows. So organize your library, purge your library, organize your library, and then read your library. Uh, don't just collect books to have them on the shelf and to look smart. Um, have books to read and to invest in yourself in. Be intentional about reading. Make a choice. I'm going to read. I'm making a decision to do this. Uh, a couple of years ago, I heard the advice to pick out at the beginning of the year a stack of books that you want to read that year. Put them on your desk, and then they're on your desk to remind you, I have to read them. I can't take them off the desk unless I've read it. And so be intentional about that. And being intentional also allows you to be varied in your reading. Read some stuff about spiritual improvement. Read some biographies. Read some Bible study books. Read some history books. Read some books on the family. Read some books on your ministry. Um, whatever you serve in, if you do that, find a book about the ministry you serve in and pick those out and choose that I'm going to read these things on purpose. Be intentional there and also be impacted by your reading. Let your reading have an impact on you as you, as you build your library and you allow it to influence you and you allow it to influence those around you. So some practical uh, tips and some reasoning why we should be readers. 